I'm at a game store in Toronto and I'm looking for something. Says I got a single copy. Just give me one second. I'm going to see if I can find it. I'm looking for 2014's South Park, The Stick of Truth. It's a role-playing game set in the South Park universe, developed by Obsidian Entertainment and published by Ubisoft. I don't like shopping for pretty much anything. Groceries, clothing. But the one thing I don't mind shopping for is video games, even though I get bad news here. Um, but it doesn't look like uh, we have it here. It's heartbreaking. I tell the cashier that I'm heartbroken by the news, but I'm not heartbroken. Sorry about that, man. I'm That's okay. today. If anything, I'm excited. Because now that this store does not have the game, I have an excuse to go to another game store. Are you looking for a PS4? If there's PS4, I would prefer that. Yeah, I'm looking uh, for the Stick of Truth or Factory of Alright. And once again, I get more bad news. So I don't have it. Which isn't really bad at all. Um, but let me see some of your Oh, actually, it turns out the Eaton Center looks like they have a copy. And so I move on. Hey, I didn't know you still worked here. Uh, it's the South Park game, Stick of Truth. Oh, on which system? PS4, if you have it. That's um, the we only bubble. have the factory battle, unfortunately. Well, I just thought for sure like, <laughs> that you guys would have it. I know, I wish we did. So I leave the vintage store where I thought for sure they're going to have it. And I've got one more place I can try before I head home. Sorry, you're on PS4? PS4, like that's my preferred, but I Xbox One is also fine. Um, I definitely got it for PS4, brand new. Do you really? Yeah, I used to Okay, cool. You can obviously hear the disappointment in my voice. I like going on the quest. I like being on the quest more than I enjoy actually finding the treasure that I'm looking for. Once I've found what I'm looking for, then that's it. I have to go home. And then I get what I've come to realize is the real reason why I love going to game stores as much as I do. I get a big, satisfying chunk of conversation. I'm about 50% on it right now. Yeah. I'm loving every minute of it. I was trying to be an asshole the other night and try to find something These are real people. People who talk to gamers all day, every day. I've learned to love hearing their perspective on things. On today's show, we're going to meet two people who met and became a couple while working behind the counter of a game store in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And we're going to learn how South Park, the Stick of Truth, fits into their lives. Welcome to Heavily Pixelated. My name is Sarah. And I'm Dave. When we first met, I was 17 and he was 19. We worked at EB Games together. Yep. That's how we met. And Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, the, and it's so, funny because yeah, the story that we You we went to my had. 18th birthday party, but we didn't start dating right away. We were no. friends for a long time, for and long then time. eventually it turned into something else. You were working at EB Games because like, the way I understand that is like, you oh, it's my dream job. job. Yeah. As, Me, a, as a 17-year-old? I, I had just got fired from a grocery store, <laughs> and I was like, well, I need a job, and I'm driving past this store. Slide that resume in. Like, Who asked who out? Like, When did you guys decide this was going to work? Oh, that's a complicated that mess of a, a story. <laughs> I think I asked you out, and I got turned down multiple times. Yeah. And then, you, uh, then we went out for a sort while. Of? I, it wasn't really a clear-cut uh, 
we're one going. person asked someone out and then you start going out mm-hmm. as it happens when you're friends for a long time and we were dating other people too yeah so and then you know were you complain about the people you were dating about how they weren't doing what you wanted them to do or i think i heard some of that from you i didn't Absolutely really from me i didn't really complain <laughs> but. No, you didn't complain <laughs> but i i certainly was i was kind of like well no one wants to like commit that's fine i'll just date a bunch of different people and and sarah was easily the best one Our relationship really started to turn into something when we both went halfers on buying an Xbox 360. <laughs> yeah. And we said we wanted That's two commitment games. Right there. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, this was this was for me as a huge deal. We were living. She was living at her dad's. I'm living in my apartment with my with my cousin, my roommate. You know, let's let's split. That. I'm like, okay, well, we're gonna split this. This is a big deal. Like, oh man. And I'm like, all I care about is I want to play Oblivion. And she wants to play Dead Rising. I'm like, this should work out. Sarah starts playing Oblivion and she's playing it all the time because I'm working multiple jobs during the summer and you had some more time off than I did. Yeah, I I was, I think we were both in university. Yeah, we were, but I was at the summer and I had to work because I had the co-op job and I had part-time jobs as well. And so we're, so I'd go over to her place all the time and she's like, can I play Oblivion? She's, meanwhile, she's like fighting all these things. I'm like, well, at least I'll sit here and watch. You know, and like that was I'll watch you play. Yeah, watch the play the game. The only game I cared about is throwing all this money at. I guess I'll just watch because I guess that's what I'm gonna do. Yeah. So that's where it kind of started a lot yeah. of it. And, and you can actually see in our collection how we had we have doubles of a bunch of games, yeah. and then you can tell when we got together because we yeah. only have one copy doubles of them. Go away. Yeah. <laughs> So the way I play games is pretty, um, like I go into every possible corner, nook and cranny. I loot every single box available. I talk to every single person multiple times just to make sure they don't say something, you know, they might say something different the second time. Dave is not that kind of player. Not. So if anything, he would say probably like, can we move on, please? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, like I, we've been in this area talking yeah. to everyone, looking at every single object for like an hour. I work 12 hours a day. <laughs> this is my break. Yeah. And yes, I get it. The cat lady still needs that whatever she's looking for. Yeah. Oh my God. Sometimes she'd get tired of playing because she'd be like nine hours session or whatever. So she was exhausted from playing. So I'd be like, oh, this is my job. So I'd take the game. And I would play her, I'd like make a save, and I, but I would just do this dumb stuff. Like I just like, oh, okay, I'm gonna get your character. I'm gonna like get, take all of my clothes off, throw them under a roof, and I'm gonna like <laughs> kill all of the villagers if I can and just see what happens. Naking the game with a knife and just stabbing random. Sarah would come back and what did you do? I'm like, look at all the clothes I got. And she's like, what do you, what? Why did you do this? Like there's all these naked people, what's going on? fall of 2013, we had just gotten back from Penny Arcade Expo. We had decided that we were gonna try and have a baby. PAX was kind of a last hurrah that we were doing before, you know, real life started. This is the last really cool thing we're gonna do as single people, or single people as like not parents. Let's go do something really crazy. And it was, it was a totally crazy experience. And we really, it really lived up to our expectations. The pregnancy was pretty, quote-unquote, normal. I had minimal morning sickness. Uh, 
all the blood tests came back normal. All the ultrasounds came back normal. The only thing that was in any way unusual was that based on how she was positioned, it made it hard for me to feel any movement. Again, all the doctors, everyone told me, oh yeah, that's just how she's positioned. That's totally normal. Don't worry about it. It was all playing out like I've seen on TV and movies. You go and you decide to have a baby, then you go have one. And then I guess the next step would be you just become a parent. Yeah. Near the end of March, I had just a regular doctor's appointment. It was going to be my last doctor's appointment with my family doctor before transitioning over to um, an obstetrics. Uh, obstetrician. Everything was going fine up until they, my doctor tried to hear the baby's heartbeat. And he was trying for a while and finally he stopped and he said, okay, I'm going to get you to go to fetal assessment at St. Boniface Hospital because I'm having trouble finding a heartbeat. Yeah, I remember driving to the hospital playing out that typical scenario of this is the part where the audience gets scared during the, <laughs> during the pregnancy and you're like, oh, what's going on? On the way there, I thought, okay, the, like this, this will be okay. Everyone, this is this probably is nothing, but maybe it's something. We get into fetal assessment. I lay down. They start the ultrasound. I could see the screen from where I was laying, and she looked around for only a couple seconds, I think, and uh, then. I remember very clearly her saying, I'm sorry, I'm not finding a heartbeat. I just kind of went into shock. The first thing I did was call my boss at work. I told her that my baby didn't have a heartbeat, so I wouldn't be back to work today, but maybe I would be able to make it in tomorrow. The second thing I did was call our real estate agent because we were trying to buy a house and offers were being accepted that day. So I called him to say, my, my baby doesn't have a heartbeat, so we're at the hospital, but I still really want to buy that house. So, you know, don't, don't forget about us. We want to buy that house. Then I turned to Dave and I told him that I was sorry. of this whole time of this all happening with Tugboat, I only have very specific memories that are clear. Everything else is very mushed together. There is no concept of time in this timeline for me. It's just these, these intervals, these specific things occurred where there's a heavy amount of emotion. And I remember hearing that and, having, and looking at a wall beside me, like, like looking down, trying to keep my, keep my shit together and you just saying over and over, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, and I just said, it's not your fault. The nurse came back and she sat with us and kind of explained what was gonna happen next. I could either go home and wait for labor to start on its own or they could induce me. I was about 32 weeks along, so it was going to be whole regular labor and delivery. I also remember that she told me something that stuck with me for a while. She said that sometimes life deals you a bad hand and all you can do is play it. That kind of was comforting to me in the moment. That was, of all the things that people told me, you know, that it wasn't my fault, that, you know, all, all the things that you know people say to someone who's grieving. Oddly, that one stuck with me the longest and helped 
the most what some random nurse that I don't even remember her name told me. One other thing that I feel like we should maybe clarify before we go further is the name Tugboat. Because if we continue to use that, it might be a little confusing. Um, So when I was pregnant, people were all asking you what name we had chosen. And Dave and I didn't quite want to, we wanted to keep that for ourselves until the baby was born. But we kept getting asked all the time. One day at work, we were all brainstorming ridiculous names and a friend came up with the name Tugboat. I think it's from a TV show, but I can't remember for sure. Um, So I told that to Dave as a joke, and so from then on, we just called her Tugboat. Whenever someone would ask, ask, we'd say, oh, her name is Tugboat, and then leave it at that, and they'd be a little confused. It was our little inside joke. We chose to be induced, mainly because I couldn't stand to go home and just wait. I felt like that would just, I, I guess, how do I say it? I would fall apart if I just went home. I just needed this part to be done. I knew I couldn't even start the grieving process until after that was finished. And so I wanted it done right away. So we got admitted uh, thankfully, they put us in a private room. If, you're, if your body isn't ready to have a baby, which generally at 32 weeks it is not, it takes a really long time. Just to be clear, when Sarah points out that it's, it's, it, it went, we found out that Tugbo didn't have a heartbeat and then we had to go through what you would call a normal delivery. You go to triage, you sit with all the other people having babies, you go into the baby delivery unit, you do all that stuff except, you know, and I'm supposed to be the dad that sees the other dads out at the hallway trying to get stuff together and I just don't have a baby that's alive. Yeah. So it's the normal mechanics, but not the normal experience. I had a lot of visitors come in, family. My mom flew from Guelph People were visiting us. I had no visitors in the hospital. I think I may have left the room when when your family and people came in because I didn't want to see anybody. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I was also... People weren't focused on me. Uh, In my case, I was spending most of the time just trying to convince everyone that I was okay. I was still in shock, mind you, so, you know, I was making jokes. I was... Uh, talking to people, people would ask if we were having another baby after this and if we were, you know, planning to get pregnant again. And I would say, yes, definitely. And they were asking you this at the hospital? Yeah. Maybe don't include this part of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I have, I, I, I don't think I would have handled that well. I was really focused on making sure that I guess everyone knew that I was okay, that I was going to be okay. And I don't know if that was just me trying to convince myself that I was going to be okay, or if, I don't know. I went into labor, delivered her. It was very surreal and pretty awful like I knew I knew that you know you you go to the hospital to have a baby you go through labor and you go through the delivery process and everyone tells you that it's painful and it's hard but at the end you get to hold your baby and your life has changed forever and I knew that 
I was going to have that pain and the hardship, but at the end of it, I wasn't going to get, I wasn't going to have my baby. And I didn't realize how truly awful that was going to feel. They had told me that I would get the option of holding her. I wasn't sure whether or not I was going to be able to. It felt like I was balancing on the edge of a cliff. And if I wasn't very careful, um, I, I was gonna fall and never be able to get back up. I, I remember delivering her and there was no noise. The room was completely silent. They, they checked her and I think they left pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think they took her to- They did, they took her to get her ready. Yeah. They, they asked if we wanted to see her and I said I did. In that very moment, I felt like I could handle that. And so they brought her in and they asked if I wanted to hold her and I knew I couldn't. I, I wanted to see her know that she was real, but holding her, I was, it was just going to be too hard for me at the moment. I've thought a lot about whether or not I regret that decision, and I still don't. I think had I held her, it would have triggered something in me that I don't think I could have recovered from as quickly. Most of my memories of this stuff is me sitting on the sideline trying to just keep it together. This sounds kind of selfish maybe, but like the biggest thing that I remember was have feeling very emotional and not being able to talk about it because no one wants to talk to the dad. The next morning, we got the okay to leave if we were ready. And on the way home, we were talking about like, what were we gonna do when we got home? And I think I suggested going to pick up a game I think that was my suggestion. Yeah, it would have been. I wouldn't have suggested that. Um, I was too messed up. We just bought a house. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We did. We bought a house from the hospital. I just negotiated a, a house while you couldn't come downstairs. Yeah. And it was a pretty, that was pretty weird. On the way home, we stopped at Walmart. We went in and walked to the video game area. It's pretty crazy to go from immediately delivering a baby to walking around anywhere. We walked to the video game area and we kind of looked through the glass shelves. I was looking for something that just kind of sparked my interest. We saw South Park and that one, I just, South Park and the Stick of Truth, I saw it and I'm like, okay, that's that's the one. Didn't even need to look anymore. It had just come out a couple weeks prior. We hadn't really kept up with watching South Park. I do remember how ridiculous it felt having the emotional baggage that we were just carrying that was very fresh in our mind. Like it was not even 40 minutes out of the hospital. And we're talking about South Park and the Stick of Truth and looking at a picture of Cartman dressed up as Gandalf. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of going just purely based on instinct. It was kind of like, what do I need to do for myself right now? Myself and Dave. And we were the only two people in the world that I really cared about at that moment. Whatever we needed, that's what we were going to do. And then we got home. The way our house was set up, you'd come in the back door and we had the nursery set up past the door. 
Do you want me to tell it? No. No? Okay. Just give me a sec. Oh. So the nurse moves past the tour. nurse moves past a hallway door and it was kind of this communal think of it as a den so we set up this den as a nursery and uh we had sarah's dad take down the nursery stuff because we didn't know what we wanted to do when we got home and so he took down all the nursery stuff and it was missing when we and it was all gone and i just lost it for the next week, we kind of were in this weird state where I, I don't think I changed out of my pajamas once. People would drop off food. We'd have a lot of visitors dropping off food, which was awesome because I wasn't going to cook anything. And honestly, if people didn't bring food, I don't know if I would have really eaten anything. And then there was the aspect of dealing with grief when there's two people who are grieving just as much having to work through it yourself but also be aware of the other person and where they're at because i kind of learned through this that everyone grieves differently and at different speeds different it's a different process for everyone so when i would be feeling a certain way and i couldn't assume dave was feeling the same way he might be still at a state where he didn't want to get out of bed and I might be at a state where I really wanted to talk about it or vice versa. I remember the time that it hit me because it still hadn't hit me yet. One night I woke up because I felt like the baby had kicked. I woke up with a start and then it just kind of hit me all at once that no, the baby hadn't kicked. You don't, you're not pregnant anymore. Your baby's gone. And I just started crying. That was, that was rough. South Park gave me something to focus on, take my mind off of the situation a little bit. It also gave us something to talk about that wasn't our daughter. We could talk about what was going on in the game. We could talk about... Um, we could laugh at the game. Laugh at the game. We, sh we could talk about what we should go do next because there were like lots of little side missions. And we could also collaborate together and work through any problems that we were having in the game. One of the most underappreciated aspects of gaming is the fact that they are collaborative experiences. Sarah and Dave could team up during this period of intense grieving. I don't think we really got stuck on any bosses. We were hunting those little Pokemon doll oh, things. Oh, yeah. I was really, and really you, into that. Yeah, you were spotting. I was spotting them and searching them out whenever we left, before we left the dungeon and stuff. We've always played a lot of games together. As long as we've been together, we've been playing games together. So it was also kind of just going back to something that was normal for us that didn't involve our baby. When things got a little bit too hard to manage, sometimes you would just, you couldn't get it out of your head what had happened. It was kind of, you're drowning in this feeling of grief. The grief was so overwhelming. Like I said before, I was just trying to be really careful to kind of let myself feel it slowly, not all at once. And I didn't want to have that overwhelmed feeling. I wanted to, I wanted to be present and I wanted to feel it, but kind of, I guess, on my own terms. Being able to play a game 
and focus on that for a little bit and then think about our baby and talk about it a little bit and then still have an escape to go back to, that meant so much to me. For me, my grieving process is I need to, I want to laugh. I want to find a way to laugh. And I mean, I'll, I'll laugh at anything that I find. And South Park is <laughs> so inappropriate, but it is so great at that. It's so, you can't not laugh at it. The offensiveness and the vulgarity of South Park is also bizarrely unifying as well. There was the part of the game, though, where, um, I guess, spoilers, you go into an abortion clinic. Yeah, the abortion clinic was pretty and, crazy. And you fight a giant fetus. And I remember when we first came across that boss, there was some nervous laughter no. <laughs> where it was like, okay, how, like, on my end, I was like, all right, how's Dave doing with this? And I just thought it was pretty funny. I'm like, wow, <laughs> of all the games we picked to play, we found the only one with a dead baby in it, <laughs> with a dead baby joke. Yeah. So that was pretty, in a weird way, it's kind of funny. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um, but then the rest of the fight was in complete freaking silence. Oh, yeah. It was, a, it was a distraction. It was a much needed distraction where we could focus on something outside together. of the situation and focus on it together. It was kind of a relief, like just loading up a new game for the first time is always a little bit exciting because you never know what you're gonna, you know, whether it's gonna be good or bad, but it's exciting either way. I was, I was just really into it. Like, I, I could focus, put all my attention on that, probably because I needed to latch onto something, but I latched onto that. Just like, okay, I need a break from talking about it. It's always nice to have people concerned about you, obviously. Sure. Nothing wrong with but it definitely being like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Because I don't remember starting the game. Yeah. I don't remember the intro, but the, the distinct thing I do remember, where I was like, oh, it just took a break from it was you had to pick your class. And he was like, you have to be a fighter, a uh, mage, something, thief. thief, or Jew. And it was an <laughs> and Carmen goes, oh, Jew, I guess we can't be friends then. And I just remember like, just like, all I remember was like looking up, seeing they were like, oh, wow, they went, okay. <laughs> like, it's gonna be one of those games. It's gonna be, it is a South Park it's game. South Park game. But it's that moment of like that, it was like the first thing I really remember of going like, <laughs> taking like a complete, like, it just threw me back out of the pit of despair and I can't talk to anyone about this. No one's checking in on me and I'm just saying, it's like, it just took me out of that going like, holy crap, what the hell's that? <laughs> you know? And I just remember that going, Okay, it was a break. That just brief moment I just laughed at it, going, this is so incredibly stupid. <laughs> Nothing's off limits. That kind of comedy that you, you know, you gotta be able to laugh at everything. Sarah and Dave walked me through the central story of the game. You were... Well, you're the new kid. Yeah, you're the new kid. Yeah, it takes you in a whole bunch of different directions. So like at one point you're um, helping Cartman and like that crew. Playing like, they're playing basically like Lord of the Rings yeah. in the neighborhood. Right, so it starts off with that, and you, and you have to get the stick of truth back because it gets stolen right at the beginning of the yeah. game. And then you have to fight the elves, which is like Kyle's group. You have to recruit the girls to join on your side. You the girls people. want to, in order, in exchange for your help, they want to um, 
they want you to infiltrate an abortion clinic to find out if one of the girls in their group has gotten an abortion, so they want you to get their files. The girls get the document back, but it's all in French, so you have to go to Canada to, get to translate it. Okay. So you, you walk across the border, all of a sudden everything is kind of like a it's, it's, old it's school RPG, RPG where yeah. you can see all the little towns. So you see Ottawa and you see Winnipeg, which was like, oh, Winnipeg's there. <laughs> yeah, very exciting. <laughs> and I think there was Banff. Yeah, Banff and Montreal. Montreal's Montreal there in there. Too. And you can kind of see your character walking on this overworld map, walking around to the different yeah, towns. Right. You can see enemies on the map that will run towards you, but it's all very like... Everything's lo-fi. Like yeah. the music's lo-fi. The people are lo-fi. So you're implying that Canada is behind. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite as We're involved not as, as the, the states. US. Yeah. And I always loved the 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 the, de- the level of detail on it because it was one of those things where you get up there and you've got all this money. You've, you're like higher enough level. You have all this money. You cross the border. You go to these towns and they have really neat stuff that you can't buy yeah. in the states or in South Park. And you try to buy it and you have no Canadian money. <laughs> And so you're like, ah, and you go and convert it and you lose a lot of money. Yeah, you have to to sell your stuff and get Canadian money and then buy it back. What I remember from that game was that it was just like every episode. It starts out with like, hey, let's go get a stick. Welcome to the shop. Can I interest you in my wax? And it ends with this, just this, I'm not even sure how we got here. (laughs) Best stay here in town. Those direwolves can rip your anus apart in mere seconds. And it's just, you're so lost, but it's great. You're entertained. Well, I think about her a lot. I mean, at first it was all the time and all consuming. And now every year the hospital actually has a grave for pregnancy losses and stillborn babies. So once a year on her birthday, we go there and bring flowers and kind of take a moment. We talk about her occasionally. She actually, you know, our our families bring it up occasionally in a very nice way. My mom actually got a stained glass uh, custom made of a tugboat on the water. I was just out visiting her and it's it's pretty it's pretty nice. It's still in the kitchen, like prominently yeah. by yeah. Their, their nook. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's very prominent this tugboat. In the has, window and it's it's You'd never know <laughs> unless you knew the story, right? Tugboat changed us in a in a lot like there's the sad parts, there's the sad story and there's all that. But there's a lot of like really good things. I focus on that a lot. Just tell me clearly <laughs> clearly it still is it makes me sad. I think you and I are as strong as we are today because of that. Yeah. We both survived the experience individually and as a couple, and we definitely learned how to discuss difficult topics with each other and how to work through feelings (laughs) in a huge way. A couple years ago, Sarah and Dave very bravely got pregnant again. I asked to be put on the induction list when I was on my due date. The way it works is you get put on the list, you wait at home, and then they call you at any hour of the day and they say, Kate, come now. And then you have to have your stuff ready, you rush off to the hospital. I was pretty good about my anxiety with my most recent pregnancy when I was working and like otherwise distracted. 
But when you're sitting around just waiting, the anxiety was building up and building up and building up. And one morning I woke up, it was it was on New Year's Day. Yep. <laughs> it was on New Year's Day. And I couldn't remember if I had felt kicking overnight. And I just started to panic. And I was like, okay. And I tried to use the Doppler and I was like, am I hearing the right thing? Cause it's kind of tricky being able to hear, distinguish your baby's heartbeat from your heartbeat. So I started to panic. I was like, I don't know, should I go to the hospital? Like, and Dave said, if you even have to ask that just question, go. just go. So I, I drive there and I get into the triage area for the maternity ward. The woman's like, okay, so what are you here for? And I just burst into tears at the desk and I start telling her like, I'm, I'm five days overdue. I, you know, have a prior history of stillbirth. I'm just really nervous. I don't know when I, the last time I heard the baby or felt the baby kicking and they right away took me to a bed in the triage area and they said, okay, first thing I'm going to do is like, let you hear the baby's heartbeat. After that, we'll worry about paperwork. They, they found the heartbeat right away and uh, they, you know, left me alone for a couple minutes to kind of get myself together. Afterwards, someone came in and was like, so you're on the induction list. And I said, yes. And she's, I'm I'm like, I'm still waiting. I understand there's, you know, I'm not a medical emergency. So there's no reason why I would be bumped ahead of anyone else. And she said, I'll talk to the person in charge today and find out if we can get you, get it going. And they did. She's very brave. Here, pick up some raisins. Oh man, it's a lot of raisins. It's a big kid amount of raisins. And now we have two amazing girls. Uh, One is three and the other is seven months old. And I have the family that I really wanted. I'll never be able to say that my family is complete because um, it will never be complete. But... I have an amazing family, and I'm grateful every day for that. Hi. Hello. This is Eric Fenstermaker. He is a game designer and a writer. He was the lead writer and the narrative designer on South Park, The Stick of Truth, and he works at Obsidian Entertainment. He's also worked on Fallout New Vegas, Neverwinter Nights, and the Pillars of Eternity series. Thank you, first of all, for taking the time today to say hi to us, but then also for the work that you put into South Park and the Stick of Truth. It really helped us through a pretty terrible time in our lives, and the writing was hilarious, and we really liked the game, so thank you. That's, uh, that's really nice to hear. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> that's the kind of feedback you, know, you, you very rarely get to hear in, in game development. Usually it's about the things people you wish uh, you did differently, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's really that's really awesome to hear. I, I can't I can't say we went into that game thinking we were going to do good for society. Also, whoever's idea it was to put Winnipeg yes. as a location in Canada, again, thank you. We we rarely get noticed, so that was pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was exactly what we needed at that exact time. It was a perfect time to just make light of a lot of stuff that was that was heavy on our shoulders. So it was perfect. I'm so glad, so glad that helped out. For a while, I got to uh, go around with uh, Matt and Trey. We're working on uh, Book of Mormon simultaneously. They were trying to launch the uh, uh, the national tour as they were working on the game. These are like two of the busiest people you'll ever 
and so I got to uh, kind of travel around with them as they did this. And it was just a blast. You'd get up every day and we just kind of talk through ideas and, and uh, pitch jokes and try to try to figure out where <laughs> the story of the game was going. It was so much fun. I learned a ton from those guys. The teamwork was incredible the way everybody kind of came together and figured out how to make a game out of a television show uh, with a huge, huge undertaking. It, it really did feel like you were playing through an episode. The rule of South Park is that nothing is off limits for comedy. Um, there's just some like some of the most horrible things, the best horrible things you could laugh at are in that game. It was exactly what I needed to see to just kind of take that heavy weight of all the stuff going on off my shoulders and just take a moment and no matter how absurd and, and on the nose some of it got to, I laughed laughed pretty hard and I needed that. I really needed that laughter at that moment. Hearing stories like this is the kind of thing that, that makes you get up and want to work in the morning. So this is really, really nice to hear. I'll try to relay the, the nice wishes to the rest of the team. When I had my three-year-old, and she was just a baby and I was on mad leave, I went to go see a movie, one of those stars and strollers type movies. And I brought her along and I was waiting for friends to show up with their babies. And uh, this older lady comes up to me and she says, Oh, your baby's so sweet. Is she your first? And I had gotten that question a lot. That's like the number one question that people ask a mom if she's out with her, her kids. My answer was always yes because I didn't want to make people uncomfortable. And I knew that, you know, based on experiences, talking about this thing is kind of taboo. No one really talks about pregnancy loss and especially not stillbirth, because it's very sad. I would always say, yeah, it's my first, just to kind of not have to deal with that. This woman said, oh yeah, I have, I have five sons at home and one that never made it home from the hospital. I kind of thought to myself, like, if this lady can come up to me, a total stranger, and share that part of her life, why am I lying to everyone about it? There are times where it's okay to share it and where it's not, you know, if, if it makes someone a little bit uncomfortable, maybe that's not the end of the world. Big thanks to Sarah Dietrich and David West for sharing their story with us. Sarah and David would like to encourage listeners to go to StarLegacyFoundation.org. Star Legacy is a non-profit organization that's dedicated to helping people who go through exactly what Sarah and David went through. Go to StarLegacyFoundation.org and click on the Donate Now button. Best way to reach Sarah is using her email, sarah-m-d at outlook.com. And if you want to connect with David, best way to do that is through his website, davidwest2s.com, or his Twitter handle, at davidwest. Again, two S's. Thanks also to Eric Fenstermaker. You can find out what Eric is working on these days by following him on Twitter at the E Fenster. Thanks also to producer Sarah Deakins and technical producer Stephen Nikolic.
music tracks in today's episode include Our Son the Potter and Nap Time by Blue Dot Sessions, Green Fields by Scott Holmes, and finally Glimpse of Eternity from Maidan. You can find all those tracks at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Scott C. Jones. I'll see you next time.